Book two, chapter two of the crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two The Beggars Are Come to Town. They was that destitute, said Tom. Twas a pity to see em. And they be grand folks, you say, said Polly Ann. Grand folks, I reckon, and helpless as babes on the wilderness trail. They had two niggers his nigger and hers and they was tuckered too for a fact lossy exclaimed polly ann be still honey taking a piece of corn pone from the cupboard she bent over and thrust it between little peggy's chubby fingers be still honey and listen to what your pa says where'd you find em tom twas jim ray found em said tom he went up to crab orchard according to the colonel's orders and we was there three days you ought to have seen the trash we turned back polly ann most of em was scared plumb crazy and they was for getting out of kentucky at any cost some was for fighting their way through us the skulks exclaimed polly ann they tried to kill you what did you do tom grinned his mouth full of bacon do says he we shot a couple of em in the legs and arms and bound em up again they was in a tarrin rage i'm more afeard of a scared man a real scared man nor a rattler they cussed us till they was hoarse said they'd have us hung and clark too said they had a right to go back to virginny if they had a mind and what did ye say demanded polly ann pausing in her work her eyes flashing with resentment did ye tell em they was cowards to want to settle lands and not fight for em other folks lands too we didn't tell em nothing said tom just sent em kitten back to the stations where they come from i reckon they won't go foolin' with clark's boys again said polly ann resuming a vigorous rubbing of the skillet you was tellin me about these fine folks you fetched home she tossed her head in the direction of the open door and i wondered if the fine folks were outside oh yeah said tom they was comin this way from the carolinies jim ray went out to look for a deer and found em off in the trail by the eternal they was tuckered he was the worst jim said lying down on a bed of laurels she and the niggers made she has spirit that woman jim fed him and he got up she wouldn't eat nothing and made jim put him on his horse she walked i can't make out why them aristocrats wants to come to kentucky they're a sight too tender poor things said polly ann compassionately so you fetched em home they hadn't a place to go said he and i reckon twould give em time to fetch breath and turn around i told em livin in kaintuck was kind of rough mercy said polly ann to think that they was used to silver spoons and linen and niggers to wait on em tom you must shoot a turkey and i'll do my best to give em a good supper tom rose obediently and seized his coonskin hat she stopped him with a word tom ay mayhap mayhap davy would know em he's been to charleston with the gentry there mayhap agreed tom poor little devil said he he's had a hard time he'll be right again soon said polly ann he's been sleeping that way off and on for a week her voice faltered into a note of tenderness as her eyes rested on me i reckon we owe davy a heap polly ann said he 
I was about to interrupt, but Polly Ann's next remark arrested me. Tom, said she, he ought to be edicated. Edicated? exclaimed Tom with a kind of dismay. Yes, edicated, she repeated. He ain't like you and me. He's different. He ought to be a lawyer or something. Tom reflected. Aye, he answered. The colonel says that same thing. He ought to be sent over the mountains to get learning. And we'll be missing him sore, said Polly Ann with a sigh. I wanted to speak then, but the words would not come. Where have they gone? said Tom. To take a walk, said Polly Ann, and laughed. The gentry has such fancies as that. Tom, I reckon I'll fly over to Mrs. McCann's and beg some of that prime bacon she has. Tom picked up his rifle, and they went out together. I lay for a long time reflecting. To the strange guests whom Tom in the kindness of his heart had brought back and befriended, I gave little attention. I was overwhelmed by the love which had just been revealed to me. And so I was to be educated. It had been in my mind these many years, but I had never spoken of it to Polly Ann. Dear Polly Ann, my eyes filled at the thought that she herself had determined upon this sacrifice. There were footsteps at the door, and these I heard and heeded not. Then there came a voice, a woman's voice, modulated and trained in the perfections of speech and in the art of treating things lightly. At the sound of that voice I caught my breath. What a pastoral! Harry, if we have sought for virtue in the wilderness, we have found it. When have we ever sought for virtue, Sarah? It was the man who answered and stirred another chord of my memory. When indeed, said the woman. "'Tis a luxury that is denied us, I fear me. Egad, we have run the gamut, all but that. I thought the woman sighed. Our hosts are gone out, she said. Bless their simple souls. "'Tis Arcady, Harry, where thieves do not break in and steal. That's biblical, isn't it? She paused and joined in the man's laugh. I remember. She stopped abruptly. Thieves, said he not in our sense and yet a fortnight ago this sylvan retreat was the scene of murder and sudden death yes indians said the woman but they're beaten off and forgotten troubles do not last here did you see the boy he and there in the corner getting well of a fearful hacking mrs mcchesney says he saved her and her brats ay mcchesney told me said the man let's have a peep at him in they came, and I looked on the woman, and would have leaped from my bed had the strength been in me. Superb she was, though her close-fitting traveling gown of green cloth was frayed and torn by the briars, and the beauty of her face enhanced by the marks of I know not what trials and emotions. Little dark-penciled lines under the eyes were nigh robbing these of the haughtiness I had once seen and hated set high on her hair was a curving green hat with a feather ill-suited to the wilderness i looked at the man he was as ill-equipped as she a london tailor must have cut his suit of gray a single band of linen soiled by the journey was wound about his throat and i remember oddly the buttons stuck on his knees and cuffs 
and these silk embroidered in a criss-cross pattern lighter gray some had been torn off as for his face twas as handsome as ever for dissipation set well upon it my thoughts flew back to that day long gone when a friendless boy rode up a long drive to a pillared mansion i saw again the picture the horse with the craning neck the liveried servant at the bridle the listless young gentleman with the shiny boots reclining on the horse block and above him under the portico the grand lady whose laugh had made me sad and i remembered too the wild neglected lad who had been to me as a brother warm-hearted and generous who had shared what he had with a foundling who had wept with me in my first great sorrow where was he for i was face to face once more with mrs temple and mr harry riddle the lady started as she gazed at me and her tired eyes widened she clutched mr riddle's arm harry she cried harry he puts me in mind of of some one i cannot think mr riddle laughed nervously there there sally says he all brats resemble somebody i've heard you say so a dozen times she turned upon him an appealing glance oh she said with a little catch of her breath is there no such thing as oblivion is there a place in the world that is not haunted i'm cursed with memory or the lack of it answered mr riddle pulling out a silver snuff-box from his pocket and staring at it ruefully damn the snuff i fetched from paris is gone all but a pinch here's a real tragedy it was the same in rome the lady continued unheeding when we met the izzards and at venice that nasty colonel tarleton saw us at the opera in london we must needs run into the manners from maryland in paris in paris we were safe enough mr riddle threw in hastily and why she flashed back at him he did not answer that a truce with your fancies madam said he behold a soul of good nature i have followed you through half the civilized countries of the globe none of them are good enough you must needs cross the ocean again and come to the wilds we nearly die on the trail are picked up by a samaritan in buckskin and taken into the bosom of his worthy family and forsooth you look at a backwoods urchin and are nigh to swooning hush harry she cried starting forward and peering into my face he will hear you tut said harry what if he does london and paris are words to him we might as well be speaking french and i'll take my oath he's sleeping the corner where i lay was dark for the cabin had no windows and if my life had depended upon speaking i could have found no fit words then she turned from me and her mood changed swiftly for she laughed lightly musically and put a hand on his shoulder perchance i am ghost-ridden she said they are not ghosts of a past happiness at all events he answered she sat down on the stool before the hearth and clasping her fingers upon her knee looked thoughtfully into the embers of the fire presently she began to speak in a low even voice he looking down at her his feet apart his hand thrust backwards towards the heat 
Harry, she said, do you remember all our contrivances? How you used to hold my hand in the garden under the table while I talked brazenly to Mr. Mason? And how jealous Jack Temple used to get? She laughed again softly, always looking at the fire. Damnably jealous, agreed Mr. Riddle, and yawned. Served him devilish right for marrying you, and he was a blind fool for five long years. Yes, blind, the lady agreed. How could he have been so blind? How well I recall the day he rode after us in the woods. "'Twas the parson told, curse him, said Mr. Riddle. We should have gone that night if your courage had held. My courage, she cried, flashing a look upwards. My foresight, a pretty mess we had made of it without my inheritance. Tis small enough, the Lord knows. In Europe we should have been dregs. We should have starved in the wilderness with you a-farming. He looked down at her curiously. Devilish queer talk, said he. But while we're at it, I wonder where Temple is now. He got aboard the king's frigate with a price on his head. Williams told me he saw him in London, at White's. Have, have you ever heard, Sarah? She shook her head, her glance returning to the ashes. No, she answered. Faith, says Mr. Riddle, he'll scarce turn up here. She did not answer that, but sat motionless. He'll scarce turn up here in these wilds, Mr. Riddle repeated. And what I am wondering, Sarah, is how the devil we're to live here. How do these good people live, who helped us when we were starving? Mr. Riddle flung his hand eloquently around the cabin. There was something of disgust in the gesture. You see, he said, love in a cottage. But it is love, said the lady in a low tone. He broke into laughter. Sally! he cried i have visions of you gracing the board at which we sat to-day patting journey cakes on the hearth stirring squirrel broth with the same pride that you once planned a rout cleaning the pots and pans and standing anxious at the doorway staring through a sunbonnet for your lord and master my lord and master said the lady and there was so much of scorn in the words that mr riddle winced um, he said i grant now that you could make pans shine like pier glasses that you could cook bacon to a turn although i would have laid a hundred guineas against it some years ago what then are you to be contented with four log walls with the intellectual companionship of the mcchesneys and their friends are you to depend for excitement upon the chances of having the hair neatly cut from your head by red fiends come we'll go back to the rue st dominique to the suppers and the card parties of the countess we'll be rid of regrets for a life upon which we've turned our backs forever she shook her head sadly it's no use harry said she we'll never be rid of regrets we'll never have a barony like temple bow and races every week and gentry round about but damn it the rebels have spoiled all that since the war those are not the regrets i mean answered mrs temple what then in heaven's name he cried you were not wont to be thus but now i vow you go beyond me what then she did not answer but sat leaning forward over the hearth he staring at her in angry perplexity 
A sound broke the afternoon stillness, the pattering of small bare feet on the puncheons. A tremor shook the woman's shoulders, and little Tom stood before her, a quaint figure in a butternut smock, his blue eyes questioning. He laid a hand on her arm. Then a strange thing happened. With a sudden impulse she turned and flung her arms about the boy, and strained him to her, and kissed his brown hair. He struggled, but when she released him, he sat very still on her knee, looking into her face. For he was a solemn child. The lady smiled at him, and there were two splashes like raindrops on her fair cheeks. As for Mr. Riddle, he went to the door, looked out, and took a last pinch of snuff. "'Here's the mistress of the house coming back,' he cried, "'and singing like the shepherdess in the opera.' It was Polly Ann indeed. At the sound of his mother's voice, little Tom jumped down from the lady's lap and ran past Mr. Riddle at the door. Mrs. Temple's thoughts were gone across the mountains. "'And what is that you have under your arm?' said Mr. Riddle, as he gave back. "'I fetched some prime bacon for your supper, sir,' said Polly Ann, all rosy from her walk. "'What I have ain't fit to give you.' Mrs. Temple rose. "'My dear,' she said, "'what you have is too good for us, and if you do such a thing again I shall be very angry.' "'Lord, ma'am!' exclaimed Polly Ann, "'and you used to dainties and silver and linen. "'Tom is gone to try to get a turkey for you.' She paused and looked compassionately at the lady. "'Bless you, ma'am. You're that tuckered from the mountains. "'Tis a fearsome journey.' "'Yes,' said the lady simply. I am tired. Small wonder, exclaimed Polly Ann, to think what you've been through. Your husband near to dying afore your eyes, and ye a risking your own life to save him, so Tom tells me. When Tom goes out a fighting redskins, I'm that fidgety I can't set still. I wouldn't let him know what I feel for the world. But well ye know the pain of it, who love your husband like that. The lady would have smiled bravely had the strength been given her. She tried, and then with a shudder she hid her face in her hands. "'Oh, don't!' she exclaimed. "'Don't!' Mr. Riddle went out. "'There, there, ma'am,' she said. "'I hadn't no right to speak, and ye fair worn out.' She drew her gently into a chair. "'Sit down, ma'am, and don't ye stir till supper's ready.' She brushed her eyes with her sleeve, and, stepping briskly to my bed, bent over me. "'Davy,' she said, "'Davy, how be ye?' "'Davy,' it was the lady's voice. She stood facing us, and never while I live shall I forget that which I saw in her eyes. Some resemblance it bore to the look of the hunted deer, but in the animal it is dumb, appealing. Understanding made the look of the woman terrible to behold understanding ay and courage for she did not lack this last quality polly ann gave back in a kind of dismay and i shivered yes i answered i am david ritchie you you dare to judge me she cried i knew not why she said this to judge you i repeated yes to judge me she answered i know you david ritchie and the blood that runs in you your mother was a foolish saint she laughed 
who lifted her eyebrows when I married her brother, John Temple. That was her condemnation of me, and it stung me more than had a thousand sermons. A doting saint, because she followed your father into the mountain wilds to her death for a whim of his. And your father, a Calvinist fanatic, who had no mercy on sin, save for that particular weakness of his own. Stop, Mrs. Temple, I cried, lifting up in bed and to my astonishment she was silenced looking at me in amazement you had your vengeance when i came to you when you turned from me with a lift of your shoulders at the news of my father's death and now and now she repeated questioningly now i thought you were changed i said slowly for the excitement was telling on me you listened she said i pitied you oh pity she cried my god that you should pity me she strengthened and summoned all the spirit that was in her i would rather be called a name than have the pity of you and yours you cannot change it mrs temple i answered and fell back on the nettle bark sheets you cannot change it i heard myself repeating as though it were another's voice and i knew that polly ann was bending over me and calling me where did they go polly ann i asked across the mississippi to the lands of the spanish king said polly ann and where in those dominions i demanded john sanders took em as far as the falls polly ann answered he lowed they were going to st louis but they never said a word i reckon they'll be hunted as long as they live i had thought of them much as i lay on my back recovering from the fever the fever for which mrs temple was to blame yet i bore her no malice and many other thoughts i had probing back into my childhood memories for the solving of problems there i knowed ye come of gentlefolks davy polly ann had said when they talked together so i was first cousin to nick and nephew of that selfish gentleman mr temple in whose affectionate care i had been left in charleston by my father and my father who had he been i remembered the speech that he had used and taught me and how his neighbors had dubbed him aristocrat but mrs temple was gone and it was not in likelihood that i should ever see her more End of chapter two